It's the Almost Perfect Podcast. Welcome to the Almost Perfect Podcast, a celebration of fuck-ups, failures, and falling flat on your face. This is a podcast that believes you can learn from experience, but that experience doesn't have to be your own. Ha, I'm but perfect, and I'm a functional fuck-up. Let's learn from somebody else's mistakes. And today we're learning from Martin Evans. Now, Martin is one of my favorite comedians in the country. The problem is he hasn't done stand-up comedy in quite some time now. It's been a few years since I think he last got on stage. And that's because he's been pursuing other dreams. Uh, Martin has been becoming a sailor over the last few years. He's even bought himself a boat in Greece. And he's going to fuck off there as soon as he can. Uh, As soon as Corona allows him to... He is going to go live on his boat. But before that, uh, Martin had a long, fruitful stand-up comedy career, which he'll probably get back into at some point. But as we discuss in this podcast, he's looking at being a comedian in other ways. Not necessarily a stand-up comedian, but a comedian. And he's also looking at pursuing some of his other dreams, like sailing. And yeah, all power to him, man. Like... Like I say, Martin's one of my favorite comedians in the country. I think he's fucking hilarious, man. Genuinely, genuinely. Ever since, like, my early days doing stand-up comedy, he was one of the people in the scene that, like, I just really looked up to. I found incredibly funny. And, yeah, just uh, I admire his humor more than anything. And that's kind of rare. And it shouldn't be that rare. But, you know, in stand-up comedy... A lot of the times you're friends with people who, like, you don't necessarily dig their comedy. You dig them, they've got some jokes you like, and you work together, so you're cool. Like, that's cool. But Martin's one of those people who, when I watch him do comedy, I'm like, fuck, that's funny. That is fucking funny. And that shouldn't be as rare as it is, but for me personally, it is a little bit of a rare occurrence in South Africa. So... Yeah, I'm stoked I finally got to chat to Martin, and we get into the highs and lows of stand-up comedy, you know, especially here in South Africa. Martin's got a lot of experience. Uh, He started out in the UK, won tons of competitions. Here in South Africa, he's put on multiple, you know, theatre shows and stuff like that. But there is a bit of a ceiling uh, here in South Africa for certain kinds of comedians, you know, if you're not willing to do the corporate thing, if you're not willing to really fit into the public's perception of what a comedian should be, I do think your your journey is going to be longer and harder, and for Martin, he decided, you know what, I'm just going to veer off, take a different path for a little bit, and I've got a lot of respect for that. So yeah, we will get into all of that just now, Racha, on the Almost Perfect podcast. Uh, sorry for taking a bit of a break last week. I was going to do a check-in episode, but then I wasn't really <laughs> doing too well. So I was like, let's uh, let's not do that. Let's not put uh, your your mental breakdowns out onto the internet. We're already all doing that with Twitter. I've been watching your Instagram stories. I know you've been watching mine, or some of you have. We're all losing our fucking minds. And so, yeah, I decided, let me let me not do that check-in episode. When the chicken's gonna go pretty badly, cause yeah, man, things things got a little hairy for a little while, and I'm feeling pretty good again. But yeah, man, the shit's a fucking roller coaster, and 
while Miles and I get into it on this podcast, you know, it's like trying to keep positive. He especially feels like he's well equipped. But, you know, myself as well, like I've been thinking, yo, you've got everything going for you in this situation at the moment. But, yeah, some days it still fucking gets to me. It's still like, when will this end? What will happen? When can I get on a fucking stage again? Please, Lord, let me just get on a fucking stage and hear some laughter from people like right in front of me. Man, that would be nice. That would be so, so, so nice. But at the same time, we got this. I get to chat to you like this. And some of you will send me emails and some of you will hit me up in the DMs. Some of you will tweet me and we'll have more conversations going forward. And I greatly do appreciate that, especially at this time. I do like that we still get to connect. I do like that we still get to, you know, share with each other. Because, yeah, uh, the isolation can definitely get to me. And I'm sure it's getting to some of you as well. So, yeah, it's that. And it's also, there's been... Like, there's been a lot of death around, man. Like, if you listen to Mark Maron's podcast, this week was not good. Like, Monday morning, I'm not going to lie to you, I felt pretty good. I was like, you know, I'm going to tackle this week. It's going to be great. And then I listened to WTF and Lynn Shelton died and Lynn is Mark's partner. And it fucking broke me, man. Like, it probably broke me because I've had a few people I know die recently like in the last month and then it's just you know even publicly all these people are dying in different ways and it's not just COVID related and it's just like it just feels like a bit of a morbid time you know (laughs) but at the same time we've got to you know you got to keep going you got to try and make it through this because humanity does make it through stuff like this or it has in the past and there's always a bit of fucking craziness around it, of course, because it's crazy times. Things are hearted now because we've got misinformation everywhere. And that's, oh, yeah, that's creating a bit of a situation that is going to come to a head eventually, I think. I think the ideological wars that are being waged online, especially in America, will probably happen as a real life thing soon seems to be going that way but then again i don't know anything all i do is sit and listen to podcasts and read my little history books and wonder wonder which one of the things that's happened before is going to happen again because that's that's how it goes from from what i've heard but also from what i've heard and from what i've read every time we've gone through something major we have come out of it better for it well not all of us, and that's the problem, I guess, and that's a tragic thing, and that's the thing some people are totally okay with. They're just like, yeah, man, some people are going to die, that's cool, not realizing that they could be the people who die, but then again, like, for millennials, that's kind of just win-win, so you're saying I could die, like, not just that people will die, but I personally can die, that sounds like a good time. Uh, for if if you're judging by the way people project themselves on Twitter, uh, that seems to be <laughs> a fair fair assessment of how some people might think. Anyway, I'm getting a little bit rambly, and yeah, like just just letting you in on a little bit of where I've been at. I've been my frustrations, I guess, are just I want to do a lot of things, and it's 
I can only do so much with the equipment and stuff that I have. You know, with the resources that I have, there are only so many things that I can feasibly create and do well with the ways I want to do them. You know, from things like not having enough RAM to not having a good enough internet connection to... Like, I'm, I'm using this program now called Hindenburg Journalist Pro, and if you are a podcaster, I highly recommend checking it out. So if you're on radio or anything like that, the only problem is that it's, like, six grand. I'm using the trial version at the moment, and they also have, like, three-month rental periods that you can do. So I'll probably do that, because I think the sound is worth it. But, you know, like, just all those different things, like, all the things you need. Like, to, I know some of you know I'm doing Almost Live which is a show that happens almost every Tuesday. It's meant to happen every Tuesday at 7 o'clock. This week, we were meant to have Dylan Oliphant on uh, discussing his new one-man show. But his one-man show didn't come out the day it was meant to. So we're going to do it on this coming Tuesday. So let me actually quickly check you on the computer. This coming Tuesday will be the 26th of May. And you can go to youtube.com forward slash C forward slash almost perfect pod almost perfect media that's it um yeah because we got to 100 subscribers over on youtube there so yeah how can i be down about shit man yeah it sucks i can't do everything i want to do as well as i want to but we'll build up to it we'll get there um i will get more out for my computer i will when fiber is available get that installed here and slowly but surely create the contents I want to create, create the media I want to create, fuck the word content, I hate it with a passion, but yeah, it's, it just, I did get a little frustrated, I, you know, have big plans for what I want to do, and I want to, you know, create a little bit of production value in certain things, and the problem is production value needs actual value, you need some money in your pocket to be able to do that, so this is kind of a long way for me to guilt trip you into going to patreon.com forward slash where you can support this podcast uh, from as little as a dollar a month all the way up to ten dollars there are various different benefits that are offered to you one of the benefits will be getting a mug yes it looks like I'm gonna be able to do that pretty soon we're gonna have almost perfect mugs going out they're gonna be pretty limited at first but we're gonna instead of flipping bricks we're gonna be flipping mugs motherfuckers so Instead of, you know, getting a gram of weed and then selling that for more money that I paid for it and then getting two grams of weed, basically I'm going to try to do that with mugs because it's at least legal and branding, baby, branding. So if you if you want one of those mugs, the easiest way to do it is to go to patreon.com forward slash almost perfect and sign up at the $10 level. This is the titular titles tier. And this is also a tier where you get to be a part of the cast and crew, essentially, of this wonderful podcast. We've currently got three people at this tier. We've got King Julian, so shout-outs to King Julian. We've got Chief Sales Officer of Subtle Heresies in the Greater Overberg Region, Rousseau. And we have got Executive Producer Stephen Olafia. Now, you could also, you know, get a title, get... Get whatever job you would like. You could become whoever you want to be on this podcast. And it will only cost you $10 a month. And I say only. For some of you, that is only $10. For some of you, that's like... Yeah, not a fuck, dog. I'm broke. I'm not giving you $10. But that's cool. Just give me one. 
And uh, even if you don't want to do that, there's also Busker. I'm going to include the link in the show notes to this. It's a new South African platform I'm trying out. And yeah, if you want to toss in a few shekels, help me pay for this Hindenburg <laughs> thing. Ooh, that would be nice. And yeah, it would just it's just, trust me, at the moment, it's definitely helping a lot. I've signed up to Fiverr. I'm on Upworks. I'm on Guru. I'm trying to get all that online work as possible. But I would appreciate if I could do this, if I could just keep creating cool podcasts going forward and create cool media that, I don't know, man, just add something different to the South African landscape and just puts out a voice that maybe needs to be heard, maybe doesn't. But either way, you are listening to it. It's the Almost Perfect Podcast with Martin Evans. Yeah, so how are you living, Martin Evans? <laughs> I am uh, I'm living... I'm living so well in such a bleak time that a part of me is starting to feel guilty about how good <laughs> things are. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Uh, I'm a guy yeah, that moans a lot, but I'm actually someone who's moaning possibly the least currently. I moaned about society when it was pre-corona. That's exactly how like I was like and like feel. I mean, obviously I've moaned a bit during this corona stuff, but like corona has 100% made me just go you know what, dude, your life's great. You can like just chill. Everything's pretty good. Like obviously I'm yeah. stressed out about quite a few different things and 2020, like I literally opened up my document the other day because for the first time in years, I set up a document that said like 2020 goals and habits. Right. And then I looked at it again now and I had to delete half the stuff because it's just not possible. <laughs> but that. at the same time, like, you know, well, there's still you know so what? many things I can do, like no, this. We can do you know, this. It's so cool. All you need to do to that list is just, you need to cross out one thing, and it's just 2020. You know what I mean? The list doesn't change. It's just the barriers and the parameters to it. That's all. That's basically what's happened with me. My, my list hasn't changed. My attitude to how I get towards the end of my list has changed. That's the difference. Okay, yeah. Well, what were what were some of the plans you had for this year? Because I know you're... On that sailing, you're a sailor man these days. So Again, I know that's, you know, it's, it's such a strange thing. Okay, if I, yeah, that's that's it in a nutshell, basically. But it's something that I've had, like I'm dealing with right now. Like it could be, it could be lockdown. It could be the fact that I'm spending all this time. I am isolating, or you can call it lockdown alone in my apartment. Um, I've started to really think about like what is it that I do, and. You know, uh, people would say to me, oh, you're a comedian. Like, I kind of can't really say I am anymore because I haven't done it for several years, really, not really pursuing it. So I take I take umbrage when people say I'm a comedian. And they go, oh, how, how long have you been involved? Six gigs. And you're like, oh, fuck, okay. <laughs> so to say you're a sailor to me is even more insulting because I know actually how difficult it is. So I, I, someone said to me, the other day, hey, captain, hey, captain. I'm like, I'm not captain. Do you know what I mean? I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm moving away to a life at sea uh, and, and, and trying to develop what I do into a different platform. But um, my plan was to get out to Greece uh, at some point early this year, meet up with my dad. Um, I put an offer on a South African registered boat that's been lying in Greece for a couple of years. The owner, unfortunately, passed away, uh, not sailing. Um, and this boat came up at a price that I'm not going to put details in, but like, like beyond cheap, like every single person who's listening to this podcast could do what I'm doing. Okay. I'm not, this is less than a secondhand Uber. Okay. Like a, a life changing opportunity came up 
which I went for, and uh, the offer was accepted. So I was due to fly to Greece end of April, and I was going to move over and start working on the boat. I had set up a, a little podcast studio here in Cape Town, and I had friends and connections who were looking to take over that for me. So everything was looking sweet, and things changed. And here we are today having this chat. <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe we would have had to wait quite a while before we chatted if uh, things hadn't gone the way they have. You're just sitting at home now contemplating everything about life. Because I'm, well, I'm also, I'm also on, on that solo tip at the moment. I miss my girlfriend dearly. It's been like nearly two months. But yeah, like I've been digging deep into myself, like in, mm. lo like, in lots of different ways. Some days it's good, some days it's bad. So I can imagine it must be fairly similar for you. Well, look, you know, I, I'll be 45 in July and uh, doesn't doesn't change anything. But I've had a few experiences in those 45 years. And not every single one of them was, uh, if you look back on, like a purely optimistic year. You know, there were times and spaces and I've done things where they weren't so cool. I mean, 10 years ago, I had a motorbike accident that put me in a wheelchair. And I spent far longer than lockdown. Uh, not just in lockdown, like unmovable position, just lying in bed. You know, like that, that wasn't a great time, but the time spent in that position was so complete, uh, so what do you want to call it, reflective, essentially, that to look back on that period now is positive. Um, last year, I went sailing uh, to Guadeloupe from Cape Town on this yacht delivery, and it was 47 days of isolation away from social media, away from any. That is, again, a positive. Do you know what I mean? So these are like sort of little training blocks that I'm trying to adopt into this time right now. So I don't feel like this lockdown is a uniquely new experience for me. I feel like I've experienced this in various ways. But I'm not in a wheelchair and I'm not stuck in bed and I'm not on a boat with two of the men whose political opinions are different to mine and I have no access to the world. I'm in a really good space for what this lockdown is. And that's, I think, why I'm not in a rush to go out and try and immediately change the world. And, oh, just got to rush and do something and I'll produce work. I'm like, I'm going to sit down. I'm just going to just gonna take a break, actually. I needed it. I needed a reset. Well, I mean, what were you doing before this? You say you needed a break and stuff and you needed a reset. You're, like, by your own admission, your output in terms of comedy hasn't really been there in years. And I think that's a crying shame because genuinely you're one of my favorite comedians. Like, I remember watching you both in Durban and when I came down to Cape Town and just being floored by, like, your crowd work and your ability to just, yeah, be funny off the cuff. Not just your material, but, like, just being able to just talk. Like, you were one of the early in my career you know you're one of the people that like I really really looked up to and I've been so like wanting to see you on a stage again so what's been happening there well I guess I'm defeated uh is the answer um Yikes. like my uh what do you want to call it my the confidence that I had starting off and doing or I won't rephrase it the confidence is not there yet the interest I had in developing in a world around stand-up from being an open spot, the enthusiasm. I haven't had that passion in forever, okay? And I realized that, say, something like sailing was where I was an open spot again. And okay. I could throw myself into an entire world where I knew nothing. 
and I didn't know about the ceilings and the limitations. Okay, so the, okay. the truth of the matter is, for me, I have had, uh, you could say that it's my own doing, or it could be forces against me, but I haven't had an easy ride in South African comedy. I'm not corporate suitable, so from hmm. a potential income perspective, uh, I'm, I'm dramatically impacted by the corporate side, which is 85% of any successful South African comedian's backbone. Um, yeah, why do you think I'm a writer as a job? <laughs> like, that's like I relate to you entirely on that front. You oh. know, like my job is that I'm a writer. Like, I see myself as a stand up comedian, but my income does not say that I'm a stand up comedian. And that's because sure. I can't do corporate comedy. Well, I could if I hated myself enough to do it, but like, I just won't. It's just not something I want to do, and there's no value in it for me. So. <laughs> I, see, I here's where the frustrating see part comes in. Like, I'll have this conversation, say, with my dad, right? And my dad's an engineer and far more analytical than, than I am. I'm, I'm more like my mother, who's the artist, shall we say, right? And my dad will say, well, tell me about what corporate comedy is. I say, well, okay, well, corporate comedy is when a comedian is hired by quite often a blue chip company, a large, serious player to come in and provide business, corporate, suitable entertainment to a large, diverse crowd. And he's like, okay, cool. So do that. And I'm like, yeah, but I can't. I'm like, he goes, why? I said, yeah, well, I've got, you know, my material. He's like, well, write, write, write a set. And he's like, yeah, well, I, said, I can't do that. He's going, you can't write a simpler set than you think, what, are you too good for this? And then I was like, Jesus. And it's pretty this way. It's pretty this way. They say Corona changes things and life becomes considerably harder. And I am now not sitting in the lap of luxury counting my blessings, but I am fucking chewing bones out the dustbin, right? And someone said, what can you do? What can you do? I'd be like, give me pen and paper and I'll write you a corporate comedy set in three minutes, right? If I had to. I know, I know it sounds so, so... I don't know. I feel like I would just do something else. No. I feel like I would just do something else. It's not that. It's not that. It's not that. You know humor. You know where the joke is. You know why yeah. something's funny. You can do a corporate set tomorrow. Yeah, I can. You don't want to. Yeah. And I don't want to either. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. It's that thing of that but, that, that well, money I mean, doesn't suppose, that money doesn't I, I, even I, seem good to me. Like in terms of what you have to do, like it just. But I guess I'm like, making that it is, sound that it's corporate comedy that's put me off doing it. It isn't. It isn't. It is it's just a small factor of it. It's, it's, it, it was then that idea that you're driving everything towards money, right? And there was no real craft yeah. in the comedy that I was interested in. And I liked, at that point, the uh, the model of the UK gigs that I started off doing. I did about 700 shows in, say, two years in the UK. But they were everywhere, you know, like long-distance okay, so, car trips. and. But that explains know, like, a lot, okay? That really – so to me, that explains the level that you were at when I was watching you in comparison to other people here because – We'll never get to do that. Like, see, I, I said, no, no South African comedian can do that. See, okay, I want to tell you what happened when I started comedy. Okay, I, I did a gig in the UK. I was dating this girl who put together a benefit fund of a thing called Axis Against Weevil. And it was, she basically <laughs> was an anti George Bush because he was still president at this point. This is 2004, I think. Okay. And she put me on the lineup because I wanted to do comedy. And she put me in the lineup, and you'll probably know some of these names. Uh, Shappy Kosandi, right? Um, uh, Dave Gorman, 
Simon Munnery, some of the finest comedians in the UK, right? And I went in so blind, the first gig I'm ever doing, basically, right? But I wrote a set about the points of the topics, and a lot of the people there sort of knew me, and I got a huge response. That was it. I quit my job the next day. I've never, I don't know what comedy was. I've never been to a comedy gig. Wait, what was your job my job. I had uh, come back to the UK and I was working at Credit Suisse First Boston doing sort of data cable management and stuff, right? <laughs> I had no interest and knowledge in it. I was just a job, right? Quit my yeah, job. fair enough. And then I realized that there's a procedure in the UK where you can go and like enter essentially stand-up comedy competitions, you know? Constantly. And, yeah, and there was a and we're club group that way. called The Laughing Horse, which ran the most gigs in London. And there was a festival that started in London, which they didn't need, and it never ran again, because London's Comedy 365. It doesn't need a, a specific festival. But they had the London Comedy Festival. And then they had this thing called the Big, Big New Act Award, where you had three minutes to go and do your thing. And 300 acts entered over several nights, and I went in, and I was the last person in the entire competition, and I won it, right? So I was like, fuck, mm. okay, cool. So I got my first paid gigs. So I went from open spot to uh, get my first paid gigs in about a week, right? And I was like, this, <laughs> is, this is, so this is how it works, okay? This is how it works. So this is, must be comedy. So then I'm like, <laughs> like I'm almost now annoyed. You deserve everything that happened since. So like, I'm annoyed that like, how does this work? How does this work? And then I, then I really start knuckling down and taking any gig anywhere and driving and doing it for petrol money. And like, it was mental, 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 how much time and effort went into this, right? Had a great time. And then I won the London heats of the FHM comedy competition. And I came second in the overall national competition. And I got management with Bound and Gagged, who were like representing Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords yep. and Ahmed Jalili. And suddenly uh, I'm I like, Suddenly now I'm like, oh, so this is how I do it. And then I'm in Edinburgh Festival two weeks later, and it's like, fuck, it was too quick. And I was doing things comedy-wise in the UK that I was almost like, well, this is how it works. This is how you just do it. And I was surrounded by really talented people really pushing themselves. So it was beautiful. And I came back to South Africa, and I did the National Arts Festival, and I had a pretty successful time. And I realized, like, oh, you know what, I'm South African. Let me just try and develop comedy in my opportunities in South Africa. And and that's pretty much where the story ends because from there it's proven to be obstacle after obstacle. And it's where it gets down to like me not necessarily trying to sound like, please give me sympathy. It's just a great question of like, if it was any other business I was in and someone said, let's just look at the books. You go, okay, cool. How many miles are you driving to sell your product? How many hours are you, what are you getting back from this? And I was like, oh, Nothing. I'm team totally dismal national arts festivals, totally unsupported events. And, and then you look around and you go, well, I'm not known because I'm probably not playing a corporate circuit to a certain degree. I'm not playing yeah, and you're not a, doing a religious the... environment. I don't have a, a crowd. I'm, I'm an atheist troublemaker. <laughs> and it's not everybody. In the and also not material. playing into that like thing, though, because some comedians here have like, obviously got that like I'm edgy but someone like you who you know is edgy but not like in a edgelord kind of way you just say fucking audacious shit that you really think and feel and you know that can come across depending on the audience as 
antagonistic or whatever, but you always manage to, or when I remember you, bring it back and like relate your atheism or your alternative ideas to crowds that might not necessarily agree with you. Well, and that's I think kind of, that's a skill. That's kind of what I've enjoyed in the past was I don't actually want a I, I say I don't want, I don't have the opportunity to play to a room of my people. Okay. Yeah. So the lack of familiarity of the few occasions I've had where I felt that the room was mine is such a, a novel experience that the true familiarity is playing audiences that have fuck all to do with me right and yeah. that in itself shouldn't have been it's not the reason absolutely the audiences are not the reason why i have not wanted to do comedy further it's primarily from a creative perspective that the opportunity doesn't meet the output and the level of investment emotionally into trying something new and then realizing that you're limited by perhaps financial options. You might be broke when you try and put out a one-man show. You can't afford PR <laughs> or a poster or a design. So I oh, sit down. Oh, wow. Relatable. And I look at some guy and I go like, oh, so-and-so has just put out a show. And I'm like, oh. he just showed up in a suit and did it because he hired a cameraman and had a team that did the web design. And that's beautiful. Good for him. I'm not taking it from them. It's just that no, because of circumstances... I'm the designer, promoter, producer. And you know what? I'm shit at most of those. So it ends up really eating away. Me. Like a poster design. Well. I spend, I have spent 90% more time designing my poster than I have writing my show. <laughs> and that's the truth. Like oh. I fucking, and you know, like, and I think about it and I go like, all right, well, I don't have the money, but say somebody did it for you for like two grand. You're like, okay, give a guy two grand. There we go. Done. Boom. Hand that into the, festival all right give it to the printer done who's paying for it oh that brand's covered it with sponsorship beautiful mirrors i'm sitting there going shit uh how does photoshop work again you know um it's it's frustrating and it's again this is no criticism of anyone else i'm not jealous of other people's successes i have realized that i can't be that person so i've yeah. lost the impetus to try and change me into who i am i am who i am i'm happy who i am i'm not like, I don't see myself as a comedian because I see the energy amongst comedians and I go, I'm not part of this group. Who the fuck are these people? Wow, dude, oh, like wow. you're literally just like speaking to my heart here in a lot of different ways because I feel like that a lot of the time, you know, like I don't feel like a part of, like, but that's the thing. I do definitely feel like a part of the South African comedy scene. I'm just on the outskirts. Oh, I, like, I feel part of it. I feel part of it in the same way as like I'm a cousin. Yes, you know, that's it. Like I'm your cousin, but that's like you have cousins who you tight with, and then cousins that you you met when you were 29. You know, and it's like, that's <laughs> uh, that's like there's not like, one. We've got this one in thing in industry Who I wouldn't put my jacket in a puddle for at the end of the day, in truth, right? They're all really genuinely not bad people, but I don't share everything yeah, with some comedians. people who are bad people. Yeah, but I mean, I'm trying to say, like, in, in the really, like, again, being introspective and looking at this right yep. now, are they the problem or is it my problem that I have with them? And it's often been my problem I have with others, you know? Yep. I sat down with you two, maybe two years ago on the roof and we did that podcast. I still, I still want to hear that podcast. I yeah, like, and I, 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 I think what I will do is as soon as this one's released, I'm going to release the other one because it makes sense now, but... I've, I struggled. I did a whole series of 10, 12 podcasts on the roof, and they're good. They're really good. And, and I just shat myself and fucking sat in it. I've got 
maybe six hours of footage that I want to put together from my sailing trip across the Atlantic. I've shat myself putting it together. And I just end up then letting time drag. My attention span is probably something that requires medical supervision, if I'm being honest. Do you think, have you got ADD or do you think you have ADD? Dude, I am... Uh, like, let's speak this way. I have the most loving mother and father and they would do nothing but anything for me. But if I try and tell my mum for a second that something wasn't sort of right with my educational development, she gets upset. Like, it's a person. <laughs> She's like, there's nothing wrong with you. You're a smart boy. I'm like, mum, mum, I'm not saying I'm stupid. But I have a clumsiness with typing that isn't just... It's, I have a clumsiness with numbers that isn't just like a fear of maths. And I have a, like a block to certain things that is unnatural. It's like some people would, like I, if I look back at my school days, right? I did subjects that I, I hadn't necessarily chosen to have in my world that really didn't suit my uh, like sort of, not intellect, my, my interests. So I was trapped into having to do things like accounting and all this kind of shit because of moving to the Eastern Cape and joining a school midway through. I had never in four years of being in accounting in school ever had one thing balance. I didn't know what a debit or a credit was. I like the most fundamental basics couldn't do. I never did, and this wasn't out of naughtiness or rebellion. I never sat in the entire history of school that did an actual moments after school homework. I couldn't, can't, I still can't. Even for the things I've got the most interest for, I can give it seconds and I'm lost. My favorite, favorite comedians, I can't sit through an hour of. Has I've got a problem, like I think. That? Yes, yes. I, I got the lowest, lowest marks in my school's metric. I was the youngest kid by the longest margin. I had, the, I just scraped through school, but I was in, I was captain of the school quiz team from Standard 7. I, I won like the school general knowledge quiz every fucking year. It wasn't a problem knowing oh. certain things. It's just I have a massive, massive problem applying myself. So even if I get great opportunities, and that's one of the other problems that's existed, it's not me moaning that no one's given me a chance. Quite regularly, I'm not suitable for what somebody thinks I'm capable of. So well, I'll you think give you a great idea. I'll give you concepts. I'll fire out shit. But if you make me sit in front of a color spectrum and work out a color background for you, I will spend months lost with no output. And that's well, the problem. Why is that though? Like, are you worried about what other people will think about making the wrong decisions? What, I what's going certainly to am. I, I think I, 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 I can sort of self-diagnose I think I suffer from imposter syndrome. So you're just a a human being who's an artist? Well, truly, that's partly it. But it's also uh, partly a realization that we all are imposters. So I don't feel too bad saying that I have essentially got or identify with something where I don't feel, you know what I mean? It's like of the few corporate spaces I found myself in, which is actually quite a lot over the long term, but... You know, you sit there and you go like, hang on a second, you are the head of Fnefene and Fnefene department doing Fnefene. And it sounds like, shit, brew, no wonder you drive the fancy German car and live in the big house with the walls. And you go, I've met the guy and he's a fucking idiot. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm like, what, what benefit could this dude bring to your corporation that I 
had I chosen a different path, not been able to. Like in terms of that self-worth, like, you know, is this, and you go, hang on a minute. No, 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 be realistic, Barton. This man's a mass genius. He worked beside this. You got respect. I see that. I'll never be you. I don't have a problem with that. But when I see someone who underperforms in different parts of the world, I now go, ha, it's not just comedy. It's not just, <laughs> it's not just getting sales. It's not just, do you know what I mean? There's few things out there where your genuine talents are the ones that show. Like you could be the best surfer, but you suck at competitions, you know? It's yeah. not the same thing. Yeah, I totally get that. And with relation to the South African comedy scene, like has like has that been the reason why it's held you back in some ways? You're just yeah, worried about how you're seen in the scene these days. Is that well, an issue? I, I was I was fortunate to live literally a block away from Cape Town Comedy Club. So for several yeah. years, I would literally jump on my bicycle in three minutes. It was perfect, perfect world. I was quite happy. But it wasn't necessarily, again, it's not even a criticism of Cape Town Comedy Club. If there was a Cape Town Comedy Club in every major town in this country, I'd still be working. Comedy and, yeah, comedy yeah, and but it was, would be quite good. It was well, a, a limitation. Yeah, a limitation on opportunity and a realization that the theater option that I wanted to go to wasn't really there for me. Um, and then it was starting to realize that I have other interests. And, and, okay. and again, what people don't, okay, let's speak this way. If we look and have this, say we have this chat in 10 years time and you go, hey, remember that there was that period where you kind of didn't do comedy? And I go, yeah. And it's like, why was that? Oh, that's because you were manifesting another aspect of the world that you want to be so that you can portray that part. And but do you not see the, being able to do both at the same time? Or not necessarily. Like crossing over? Okay. No. Okay. Okay. So like, okay. So if we're gonna get back to the sailing thing, right? So yeah, I am not. Can you not be a sailing comedian? Well, okay. That's basically it. Okay. So I am not expecting to be at sea, maybe more than at literally ten percent of the year, right? If I sail across the oceans at one point, that's it. It's like 30 days. You don't sail, 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 sail. You go to places, yeah. right? And my idea was that because Pretty of good way the, to restrictions, the, the restrictions on being a South African comedian, and this isn't just on me. This is truly on any South African Everyone. act of every race who truly wants to move about and, 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 and play those various audiences outside of corporates, right? So... The opportunity, in my eyes, right, as I see this business, has shown me way before Corona, way before Corona, I was predicting a collapse of comedy as we saw it. Not quite like it is, and not in the way that it's happened. It was more like a financial thing. I thought yeah, you're not the, the only world one who's ended up that, eh? into some sort of, you know, like let's say there's a, a genuine conflict going on around Europe, and it, it, it would impact stand-up in such a way that I expected there to be a change of how we, we've been dealing with stand-up for so many years. So I wasn't shocked by Corona because I've been somewhat planning my, my departure from stand-up in that traditional see me at the club Monday through Friday, whatever it is, for some time, right? And it's, it's well, kind of been part of my basically. plan. Yeah, it's like someone says, you should go to stand-up again. I'm like, why? For the highs of the audience. I'm like, I remember the highs. I've done thousands of fucking <laughs> shows. Okay, I don't need... Uh, I also remember the lows. And so I guess yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not, again, me being but, critical of it. I thought, but how do is, I step away from the club? 
but are the lows too, too much? Dude, again, if it's being truly just analytical and I look at it from a financial perspective, it's not but worth... But not from a... Not from a financial perspective, from a personal perspective, because that's what I think really matters. Well, like, time is money. Time is money. And, sure. and as time is taken and money is taken, opportunities outside of comedy start to get impacted. So over years and years and years of it, kind of assessing and going, all right, the longer I do this, the less chance I am on going to develop this comedy world. I say comedy world, the sailing potential, right? And then what does sailing open up to me that I can then use my skill set for? Okay. So if I kind of cut it short, opportunity was, costs. Yeah. So let's put it this way. Um, it probably won't happen because I've already explained already in this conversation how many shortcomings I have from attention span, et cetera, et cetera. But I have set something up at the moment where I'm working on something rather unique. Uh, sailing as a YouTube platform is, I don't know if you've come across it as such, but it is a very big area. Uh, it's a huge amount of people involved in it. There's a huge support structure yeah. on Patreon There's for sailing channels. Um, and I bring to it something a little different, you know. Again, this is like, for once, I've now got to be a little more, what do you want to call it? Um, confident. I need to be more confident, right? I need to go like, hang on a second. Hang on a fucking second, Martin. Like, you're sitting here underselling yourself on every project you want to do. What is it yeah. that I want to do in this world, right? And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm learning to sail. That in itself is valid of a fucking YouTube channel, right? But I'm a comedian. I'm a man who's had his own Comedy Central specials. I've been on the fucking telly. I've done things that already had someone's interest. Let me now adapt this problem I have with going and doing shitty club gigs and, and fire that up by doing a gig in a venue on an island in the Caribbean and having the love of it again. Or pulling into an area where there's a yacht club and if everyone's got a yacht club they've got a function room they've got a function room they've got a pa so they've got a membership you might be able to go and do a show you know it's like suddenly i find myself possibly finding my audience at a different stage where all the ego and all the needs and desires of old martin has gone and i can focus on literally uh, dare i say we're in a new world right yep. if there's no clubs to go to I'm not missing out. I'm creating my space. <laughs> and up until Corona, I had the negativity of thinking, fuck, there's still the clubs I could do. That's the hard part. Now they're gone. They're gone. It's me. I could do my own thing. And someone say, oh, you're a comedian. I can say yes again because it doesn't have to be about stand-up. I'm not a stand-up comedian and I don't want to be. But I want That's to be cool. an entertainer. I, so I get that difference, you know, the difference between just being a comedian and being a stand-up comedian. And I guess as you're getting older, you're like are able to just transition more into just being a funny guy more than being a funny guy on a stage. Mm. It's like if I look at certain performers in the UK, especially if you watch something like uh, Simon Pegg and the big train and the kind of community of actors that come from that. There's like four or five guys who you'll watch in British sketches and you'll go, they are the funniest people ever. And then you go, are they stand ups? And you go, no. They've done like three gigs in their lives ever. And they go, oh, shit, it's not for me. But they're the best or something else. And I think I don't I think this is going to sound again like a little ego thing. If I think about what it is that I do that I enjoy, I enjoy a self-to-camera kind of environment. I enjoy talking without the response of people. I don't 
necessarily do a joke waiting for the ha 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 then I can I, I, I like the idea of narrative and that I think is going to really help me in the coming future because my but, sailing uh, what, story isn't stand up but it'll be funny because life's funny how do you actually feel about not getting that response because a part of me likes the idea of you know just speaking to a camera and stuff but I do enjoy being on stage and seeing the responses, hearing the responses. It sucks that they're not always the responses I want, but you know, it's real. At least it's always Look, like, I, I always know I, what's happening. I would be lying to you if I told people that, that a, the, the reception from a very well-received stand-up comedy gig isn't addictive. And it is, it is, yeah. right? But like, yeah. When you look at someone, you look at some old rocker who's been doing heroin for 40 years and you go, how has he managed to stop at 70? You know, and it's, it's like I think the that craving is something that I have been able to bottle. I okay. remember what it is. I know there's experience. You can't take them from me. I don't need a let's say I've done 2000. Gigs. Let's say let's say 300. I stormed. Right. And I have 300 mental experiences of like, wow, I know what it's like for good or bad sizes of audiences are varied to have a they really good gig. I've had that, right? And I can remember it. So I, for someone to say, what if you had 301 experiences? I'd be like, okay, all right. Yeah, cool. But like, but is it not just like the material else. and stuff like that? Like, don't you want to like feel that to know if a joke like works the way you want it to or do you just feel like fuck it i like this joke whether or not you know it gets everyone laughing or not doesn't matter well that's part of the problem see is that when i had the opportunity in the uk initially to do lots of gigs and uh an option came up to run a boat called the wibbly wobbly after the owner malcolm hardy had died uh, I asked me to take over and it was the fucking toughest gig in London because it was really rough, tough working class. And the guys were like East London villains. It was hard. They didn't want you to do comedy there. It was, it was awkward. And <laughs> I got forced to MC. and MCing is quite often the hardest job to try and segue material into. If you've got a joke and you want to be the MC to do it, you can see when the comedians, like he stopped being an MC and he's now doing his bit, you know? Yeah. And I got to MC a lot and I saw the true value in it. And almost problematically, MCing was too much fun because it was too wild and liberal. You could just, hey, that moment happened and this thing happened. And those weren't jokes. Those were moments, right? And that's sure. why I kind of did my best, right? Because no one was expecting me to go and sit down at a pad of paper and write 20 minutes on uh, napkins and Cyril Ramaphosa where someone else could could easily do that that's their that's their strength you know um for me it was like oh god it's becoming harder and harder to be fresh so what happened was i was starting to just do the same things and there'd be tweaks and changes but it's like how do you lay a piece of material to rest in south africa when there's almost no inspiration to write a new one and like, it's also yes, you're you, writing it for the same audience. You're giving them the option of new jokes, which, yes, they entirely deserve and want. But you would have organically picked that new material up. Having done 10 gigs outside of Cape Town, you would have come back with 15% new material. So that additional space wasn't existing. So I found myself 
first of all, not able to do the things I wanted to, which was primarily the one-man shows, just due to the inability to draw the numbers to probably attract the theaters, to attract the sponsors, the whole chain of events. And, so one-man shows... Know, like, you say all of that, but like, it's even still like that for big name acts here in South Africa. Sure. No, like, absolutely. You know, this was for you like a while ago and it's still a very, very real concern. Like being able to fill a theater in South Africa as a comedian who's not Trevor Noah, like literally, well, that's it. Well, to well, be honest, I think most of those other comedians aren't filling the theater. It's just that they no, have the, the, the not. bulletproof ego to make it sound like they did. Whereas I'd go in and go, shit, sold eight tickets. It's a 300 capacity. But should I kill myself on stage or should I do it beforehand and save them all the hassle? You know what I mean? And then suddenly someone's um, going, well, like, oh, shit, Jesus, Evans must be fucking dying. And then you go, well, maybe Evans is just honest. That's a problem. Bro, I've I never feel been able to say, I never, if I've had a great gig, I might go, wow, fantastic night tonight. I don't tell people, smash the audience. <laughs> fucking nail the cuts. They didn't deserve that. Go, you know, and then did 10 minutes sitting on a stool because I'm so fucking special. No, I, 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 I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't buy it by that kind of shit, so. Oh, fuck. Oh, I love you, Barton. That is, <laughs> uh, that speaks to my soul, man. Because, yeah, I, I get you. And it's like, even just with my festival, the Heat City Comedy Festival, I won't mention names and stuff like that. But there was a comedian who sold I think there were like two tickets. I think there were two. It might have been one. And, you know, there were maybe three or four people in the audience for their show. And they did it. And they did the whole show. And they, you know, really went for it. And I had like probably the second most amount of tickets sold. And was Mm. like feeling like pretty disappointed. And like just, you know, but it was at the end of the whole festival. And like it had been a long thing. But like I get you there where it's just like these weird perspectives like and it is a matter of some people have this thing of just like i'm going to be a killer always you know like and you know this this humility is so powerful right when i i want to get like like okay so i I mentioned earlier on that i had done this thing in london for the fhm this competition and i i hadn't won it i came second i'd had a really really good gig and uh, this other woman, Sally Ann Hayward, won the competition. And the prize was, amongst other things, representation of the Barney Gag. But the management approached me and said, like, look, we, you know, we really liked you. We'd like to see you again. When can we, when can we see you doing a comedy set? And I was like, uh, we just want to catch you doing like a 10-minute set. And no one at that stage had given me a 10-minute set, right? No one. So you only been so, doing fives? At most. At most. So I had to hustle with this one club in town was which was basically of the open spots of open spots this was this is where society's stranger characters meet right it was a real like a real low-end open spot comedy pot right and i asked them and they said yes you can do 10 minutes and the owner of the, the management of the company came to watch and he was one of three people in the audience and i went up and i did my 10 minutes thinking like ah you know let's just oh. Oh, what a chance. What a gift horsing them up. Immediately afterwards, he was like, you smash that. Please come in. We'll, we'll sign you immediately. I was like, oh. So there's wow. times and places where three people in the audience matters. You know what I mean? My favorite, one of my favorite shows was at the Winston when there was no crowd and two women from Joburg walked in because they saw the poster online and I was yeah. hosting. 
and genuinely one of my favorite fucking nights of comedy because they were laughing the entire time. And sure. it's kind of easy when there's only two people there. But I, I get what you're saying, though. Like, when it comes to that confidence thing, like, well, it matters like, so put, much. I'll put it another way where you can see how ego is important rather than the experience, if you want to put it to you, right? So, like, I, okay. I ran a lot of comedy festivals for music events and festivals, say, in Cape Town um, around 2010, 2011, 2012 kind of stuff. Like, so things like Rocky the Daisies and Synergy Live, amongst other stuff, right? And at first, part of the kind of, I wouldn't call it almost a benefit. I had to then set up MCs for the main stages, you know, for the entire weekend. It was, yeah. it was, it was difficult to rely on people to do the job properly. So quite often, I delegated the MCing role to myself. And it was so strange how the experience of it varies and differs from what the reality of it is. You know, like, okay, cool. There might be twenty thousand people out there ready for this band, and you can sort of whip them into a frenzy which is cool but like it's this random could be twenty thousand ants wasps bees anything out there oh, right? yeah. they're not and people what, they're what not... you say doesn't really matter you're just <laughs> irrelevant party yay and then you walk off and you're mostly doing the MC role because you get to stand on the side of the stage and get a really good view. Okay. that was my primary interest in being involved in that and then you'd see yeah, some guys you know who look at it and they go man that's just that i could just see myself as the person doing it rather than seeing what the experience is and it was hard it was hard realizing that like a lot of these things are not as fulfilling for me as i want to be if that makes sense you know also it's an age thing it wouldn't be suitable for me to go and MC, say like rocking the daisies any longer you know yeah. but i'm also tired of trying to find the responsible dude who's going to do the right job and they're putting my name on it. So again, I think it's, you it's, romanticized it's, it's growing up. Cause yeah, like I feel fairly similarly. That's why I don't run gigs as much. That's why I don't organize like thing. Like I used to, you know, you know, me as well. Like I've put music festivals together. Mm. I run gigs in Durban. I used to have a website that was all about promoting Durban content. Mm. So similar to you, I felt very similarly, you know, about promoting things, about creating stuff, about, building things see, up but then I see also so being... much of you and me and me and you <laughs> and and just differences and i mean i wouldn't get my cock out like you do but there's this there's, there's there's a I lot mean, of it's been a while it's been a while since i've got my cock out in public like i would get cancelled for that shit these days uh Jesus. but i tell you if you did it next to me now after this lockdown no, my problem is i'm getting like fucking old man strength it's a strange thing it comes, <laughs> right? it's, it, you only get it for like little bursts but when it fucking rigs his head you like jesus danger one of the most dangerous <laughs> men in comedy right now is an aged gout riddled martin evans i warn you <laughs> but oh, as I said, like it's we are we are in a strange time there are a lot of positives to pull from this right now you know and so, i think so that's I what you're it, trying to do at the moment even though we've been moaning for a while at the moment you're actually well like in a positive headspace if we want to talk about comedy, I feel like calling myself a comedian for the first time in years. I sat down a couple of days ago, surrounded by my various pieces of equipment that are all there to do this that I've neglected, right? And I started writing and I started putting something together and I go, I can do this. I actually know enough of the app to make that video. I know how to edit that. I can do this. I can do that graphic. I don't need the guy. I've got the mics. I've got the cameras. Jesus, I've got, I've got so much tied up here in stepping forward into this breakdown of the traditional comedy world that for the first time in a very long time, I might 
just be by opportunity reasons right at the top of stand up in the country, not because of my ability to fill a room or take numbers of, but just my ability to actually go out and be one of those pioneers right now. It's a good space and I'm comfortable with who I am and I don't feel anything like but positivity right now. That's possibly depression. <laughs> it might just be depression, like some master, everything's fine. I'll just walk off the roof one day. You know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, once again, that's too fucking relatable because that's like how like I've been feeling this last month. I mean, there's some days where it's genuinely just been like, no, no, I am depressed. This is mm. I am. I am depressed. Uh, like, just chill. Go to sleep. Don't think about killing yourself. But then there's yeah. other days where it's like I'm like no dude you got this like everything's fine your life's amazing you know you mm. get to do all these cool things like you know you've got a roof over your head fucking you know you're going to take over the world you've got almost yeah. live you've got the podcast you can write you know like yeah. do all these things and then you get motivated i mean i'm writing scripts and stuff like that but then there's days where like well the, like i say days it becomes like a week almost where like yeah. you haven't worked out you haven't written anything mm. you haven't yeah. I've taken yeah, a week I've, off the podcast and like, yeah, yeah like I, I get into those phases and I fucking hate it. But yeah, at the same time, it's like your brain's your brain, man. I had, uh, I had a little sort of epiphany a few days ago. Like, um, my flat was dirty. Um, like I'm not like unbathed, but I'm not like, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not city fresh, ready for shit. I'm like, fuck man, let me, let me get myself. Let me just have a little, like little, you know, shake myself out and then I, I i haven't turned netflix on in a month and a half you know what i mean i'm not watching things i'm just wasting time you know Scrolling all my twitter all my potential income streams have dried up right um <laughs> over the years stand up only paid a certain amount but it didn't do terribly but i am not able to do any acting work i haven't done the tv commercial in like a year and a bit I mean, like, that's what's been my bread and butter. It's the only reason I've been able to make anything happen in my life is because I've done 50 international TV commercials and a bunch of other shit that nobody knows of from the comedy side, I think, because it's got no relevance, but it's paid bills. That's gone. Uh, Stand-up is gone. Um, what I am currently doing is actually starting to minimize some of my possessions because in moments, as soon as it's available, I'm probably heading off to my boat. And what I do today is what I'm getting ready for the next step arrival, say in Greece. It's a continuation of my story and Corona won't change it. And uh, people returning to the stage won't affect it. It's time to, you know, go and be a little, um, like a free on what you basically. can control. Mm. You know, it's like, mm. I watch some of the comics out there who, like I would say on their best, in a tough crowd environment are just, you know, faultless. They're really good at what they do. And then I've watched them deliver to camera and it's like they can't forget that there's no audience. So the timing of their delivery is like, are you waiting for a laugh there? What the fuck? Carry on talking, you know? But the way they're delivering things isn't working. And then there's some guys I look at and I go, that could be perfect, you know? And I, 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 as I said, this is an optimism I see for things at the moment, you know? We might not have a lot of people listening to podcasts or watching videos or live streaming, or, but it's, it's an output and it keeps you sane. And I've now realized that if I don't release the 10 podcasts that I did, I'd be a fool. If I don't edit yeah. the setting shit and get it out, I'm an idiot. And you know what? Who's judging me? 
I'm like thinking that the world's judging you. No one's judging. No one's watching you. So how can you be judged? It's like, all right, yeah, get over the... As long as you don't... It's that thing of like, I spent hours editing this and I'm very proud of it. You put it out and you get one like and then you realize, ah, it's a Vietnamese bot that wants you to go to a Bitcoin (laughs) site and you're like, fuck, again, you know... Again. I know that's I know that's something that like people that listen to this podcast relate to because I've brought it up before and people have emailed me and responded and been like, yeah, man, I get that. Like, because I think a lot of us do that. We create stuff and we put it out there and we hope that people will engage and like it. And, you know, especially if you're like us who have a history of doing things, you know, we've mm. got audiences who respect us. But sometimes, you know, like you put out something and people don't care and it hurts so fucking much. But then you got to remember that, like, you did the thing. You did your Mm. part. That's all you can do when it comes to a lot of this stuff is just create the thing, put the thing out there and try and get it, you know, to your audiences. Try and get people to listen to it. There are methods out there, you know, of getting more people to know about things, like from hiring a publicist, you know, to just tweeting about it. Mm. But it's just, when you're actually doing it, I know, like, I joke about it, like, with this podcast. Like, I often say, like, I'll just say my real opinions and stuff on this podcast instead of online because no one's going to listen to this. Like, Mm. none of the people who hate me or want to cancel me or have issues with me are going to listen to me talk with someone for an hour. So I can Mm. just talk all my shit here. And the people who do like me and do care about me and the people that I'm talking to they they'll listen and they're not going to try cancel me because well, they dig what like, we're doing here i think you did mention earlier on you were saying like do i not miss say like uh the live response from an audience you know and whilst we can't really garner that from any particular sort of comedic output at the moment it's a bit hard to expect to be able to see your audience laugh whilst you deliver your show but canceling there games. is there is a different way of engaging with people nowadays and like it's almost Okay, so I'll put More it this real? way. Like, so when, when Facebook came out, what was it, like 10, 12 years ago, it's pretty much when I moved back to South Africa. And at that point, everyone was trying to generate the largest count of followers or friends, friends, right? But they weren't mm. friends. They were, you only know, like, maybe a thousand people. The rest are, like, people who came to gigs, someone who saw you at a show, someone saw you in a thing, whatever it was. And end up, say whatever it is, 13 years later, if I look at my Facebook today and someone said, of the 50 people you regularly interact with, how many of them do you really kind of know, say, in a traditional friend base? You're like, shit, actually, these are online people, you know? And uh, Twitter, I changed my twitter attitude recently because of a, a, a dark bleakness that I felt in it. And I got mm. rid of about 500 accounts i only followed about 900 people or so and i deleted about 500 uh, people who i felt i was carrying their baggage like who's a stranger i don't know but it's always sad when i see their posts it brings out an emotion in me that i'd rather i have and then i felt this kind of fuck if i unfollow them they're going to really feel like that's personal because i've been twitter friends with them since 2009 i'm like but i don't like this person i don't know this person this person annoys me so to these well, to, I might like this person in real life, but well, something you know, like that. Seeing their, yeah. seeing their stuff online constantly fucks with me. And I know exactly. I'm like that with some people. Some people love hanging out with me in person, but can't follow me on Twitter, and that's yeah. totally fine. So I I I deleted 
say 500 odd accounts kept things that I enjoy my interactions with and added like if tweets came through and people started in, interacting with me I interacted with them and I brought in like uh, sort of a thousand followers in two or three months that I hadn't seen in probably two or three years and suddenly it was total strangers who were almost like you're a bit of a comedian I'm like actually I was kind of I'm a funny guy kind of thing ah and then suddenly this whole totally like people who have said things like I said I'd like to do an online thing soon I hope somebody will join me so you, you I don't know who you are liking fantastic I'm in you know like suddenly going it's perfect it's about redefining those boundaries corona's changed our boundaries and you know for me to sit and put out a a online show tomorrow and try and put it through a local ticketing system on a local website with a snap scan payment and all this thing is fine and perfect but i'm like i think i'll sell 50 percent of my tickets to someone else in the world and if i regionalize myself now am i not just going to do myself more damage we've all got a much bigger platform to play on because the boundaries have changed yeah, 100%. I mean, I saw Conrad and Skulk were doing that international show uh, that was raising funds. I can't remember who it was for right now. Oh, but, it was Comedia, you know, they, I think, yeah. Yeah, so they were like comedians from literally all over the world doing comedy mm. from their their homes. And yeah, it's definitely, it's changing the, the scope and capabilities. Personally, I'm not even looking at that kind of stuff. I have been thinking about it more and more and more now. But like, when it comes to comedy, like I'm writing scripts, I'm kind of putting my comedic output into a lot of that at the moment, but hmm. I do want, like in my mind, you know, like I need to just have at least a special fucking recorded, you know, like that's the one thing that's really in my, like I need that <laughs> like out hmm. of the next few years. And then once I've done that, I can maybe see where I really stand with stand-up comedy and how I feel about it. But I still have this absolute drive to get on stage and be funny. And I don't get as much enjoyment out of putting a camera in front of me and trying to be funny. Mm. I like I think, the set-up punchline, rug pull, people responding, just the whole visceral experience of that part of comedy means so much to me it matters so oh, much to me still. And, it, and then it shows i mean it comes across i mean for me to suggest that you should try and do my model of what i want to output is ridiculous oh definitely not to suggest that so it's ridiculous you know what i mean so i'm far from me discouraging anybody it's that suggestion that you know as soon as the fire starts to burn somewhere else acknowledge some of that. that fire and look not necessarily but like you know, I, again, it's like I said this about the comedy industry the other day. Like, because of the economic side of it rather than the emotional side of it, right? Rich comedians can just go, well, fuck, I don't make money right now. And they can just continue to live off their fat. Whereas working, working industry, working comics with bills are going to be in trouble. And yeah. Someone might go, you know what? I've done enough corporates for FNB that they actually offered me a communications role and I now make decent change as a business -y kind of guy. So had to kind of pack the comedy in. So we'd probably lose a lot of top I wondered about quality that as well. middleweight comics will find something in the interim, right? And it might I mean, keep them there for open a long period. might also be dead for good. <laughs> like a lot, of, a lot of people see, who are starting out. this is where I out. disagree. I disagree slightly. I think some respects... 
and this is gonna, I always going to say something that almost made it sound really inappropriate and unimpressive, like, like, like <laughs> a kind of rats and cockroaches in, a, in the worst of times when, when you don't make money from something and the only reason you're there is just pure fucking hiss, right? You're not going away. Sure. You're not making money from it pre-corona. You're not making money from it post-corona necessarily. So I think that passion Sounds from like me. the open spots will be so strong that the mainstream comics will be more frightened because what's happening now is somebody who potentially wasn't making real dough from comedy, right? And I don't make it on the personal level, but there's uh, say there's, there's online comedy things happening in Cape Town that they've done like 50 episodes already. You know what? 50 episodes is amazing. They may not be the best comics, but they're certainly the best live streaming comedy at the moment, right? Sure. So then you get someone who's like Mr. Mr. Big Bucks, fancy, fancy, theater-filling stand-up who doesn't spend a minute online with his audience or whatnot and is a little unawares of how it is. So there will be a change of balance. There's going to be very talented that. digital open spots and very out-of-touch older comics who've got no other way of delivering their medium, you know? I think yeah, middleweight but... comics are fucked. Middleweight comics are going to get jobs. Because they're not going to want to be open spot comics, and they don't have the cash to sit in their asses like the rich boys. But you're, they don't want to. Your guys they don't want to go back around. to the, the, the two jobs thing, because like yeah. comedy usually is two jobs for a very long time. I mean, I for me, wish, it still is. I wish I had. If I could only do that fantasy, what would you tell younger Martin? I would have told younger Martin get into comedy much sooner. But I would have told <laughs> younger Martin to get a proper fucking job and stick at it because. What bothers me the most is when I was so ignorant to take that leap from one gig to just not going back to work ever again um, was stupid because especially say something like Cape Town. If you live in Cape Town or Durban, is an even better example, right? There's very little chance you're going to Cape Town for the weekend for a quick gig or Joburg just for the night, right? So you're going to be in Durban. You're going to be in Durban. If someone said, hey, can you go to a gig tonight? You go, where is it? It's Durban, where you fucking live. You go, okay, cool. Oh, how am I, I going to do a nine to five and get to the Winston by eight? Like, like any other fucker, you can go home, shower, change, write some notes, smoke a joint, chill for an hour, still get to the club early. And you should be there early. That's the other important part. And then you can be that guy going, hey, listen, you're headlining tonight. Yeah, I get on the stage at 9.45. I'm off by 11. I go home with an extra grand or two in my pocket and in the morning. I'm a little tired, but I also had the rush of doing a great gig, and I go be a marketing executive for Deloitte and Touche, whatever, you know? I don't mean to say to people they should give up on stand-up as a dream, but really don't give up on a fucking income. You want a house. You want to be able to use a credit card, rent a car when you have that one holiday in New York. Do the things you need. So everyone should be a comedian. Everyone is, but don't be a professional sit in your ass and only do comedy guy. You'll You'll, you'll die hungry and disappointed. Are you That's sure bleak. about that, though? Like, yeah, that is pretty bleak. Because, I mean, I'm sure other people would disagree with you there. I mean, I'm sure, sure Lisa Gola and fucking Trevor Noah would completely disagree with you there. You know, they... They don't, well, they don't count. They don't, don't count. They, count? they have... They, got, they don't they got count dead. because of the opportunity they used. They are there. They have cemented themselves through their efforts, hard work. A mix of everything has fallen in their lap. And they will continue to be successful people. I have no doubt that, that exists for a greater percentage of things. But to be 
a, not a Trevor Noah, Lisa Gola, and think you're going to put eight years into an industry to try and develop it is there are better methods. There's, and it's purely from an economic side of things where you go, keep your job, keep writing, keep the fucking love going. But don't think that you're going to do like the one thing that you can watch to see is perfect Trevor Noah examples. The number of acts who would be on his um, like Showmax specials, for example. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. And, you know, this guy is like, did great. He's got a fantastic Showmax special. He's not even getting support slots at the local club. And his, his soul's broken. He's, he, he's been on Trevor Noah, shook his hand. He's got a photo. But you won't even, you know, who are you? I'm that guy who watched me on TV last night. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, I'll give you an open spot. Oh, fuck! <laughs> yeah, that, that's kind of and I, and the depressing thing that, about... No, I'm with you he, there, because that is kind but of But he's the sitting there thing, saying, chatting. I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to do this full-time. What? Do the same gigs, and then just not work in between the days. Get a job. Maybe then you've but, got the bucks to go and book the theater and do the show overseas or go watch something at Montreal or Edinburgh. You know what I mean? It's like... You can I had a comic owe me money for a year and it was becoming personal because I'd have to contact him and we're chums. Eh? And it's like, and the whole time he's saying to me like, oh, dude, it's not making any money. And then like, like the dad in me came out and says, well, then you need to get a job because this isn't paying. And it's like, we need to get out of the emotional side of like how fucking much of a rush the stage is and go, you can do that and have other dreams. So, I'm lucky that I've had my, 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 my turn on the, on the jungle gym and I loved it, but it's like, I got too, too tired of it. And it's like somebody else wants to play in it. So cool. You go play in that jungle gym. I'm going to go for a walk in the park, metaphorically sail the sea and find yeah. other spaces to go be funny somewhere else. And if I can draw a hundred people to Patreon, and they might be in 30, 40 places around the world. And one day, maybe my boat pulls up and they want to meet me. That would give me much more joy than that 301 gig where you thought you stormed it. So it's like, I, I just think that we all need to see humor is going to have to change because of the, the format of stand-up being as undesirable a public thing as it will be. doesn't mean that funny doesn't exist. just has to morph, you know? Cool. Well, I think that uh, is a great place to end this conversation. You've left me personally with a lot of food for thoughts, and I think a lot of other people too, because I think a lot of these things cross over into the music industry, into you know some other sectors of the arts industry as well. You know, I feel there's a lot of things that people can take from this and relate to, especially since you have done it. Like you say, you've been on Comedy Central. You've done you've won competitions you've got 700 well i don't know how many thousands of gigs under your belt you know it's one of those things where you're actually speaking from experience and you know the struggles of this thing and so now yeah i actually wish you obviously i wish you well in your future ventures but i definitely still want to see you on a stage one day i think thank you very much first of all thank you i appreciate it, it was a good chat i enjoyed it um the 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 opportunity for me to return will have to be organic and i think it's things like going forward as we are that might see a comfortable return one day where it isn't so forced you know but uh, as i said it's optimistic time and like i can't see anything but us all having to adapt in a positive way and you know what else can we do <laughs> what else can we do indeed thank you so much what for your time do? martin um, thank you yeah hey.
you look after yourself. And I'm going to release the chat I had with you about two years ago, just after you've released this as a little sort of like, what do the what do the youth call it? A collab. <laughs> a little collab. I'm excited because I can't even like I can kind of remember some of the stuff I was saying, and was I was moaning just, quite a bit it, back then. It was just like, before your. Uh, was it before the first, festival? Festival. After? Yeah. Before. Oh. Uh, Okay, yeah, and I was moaning about other promoters and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm keen to hear what I was saying then because I feel like some of my opinions probably haven't changed and I feel like some well, of like, probably have changed. Quite well, a bit. Like, but like you did say earlier on, it's like we can say what we want in these things often and really if someone, someone wants to go and investigate, do the time, listen and be offended, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> <You know what laughs> I mean? Exactly, it's an extra lesson. <laughs> Thanks. Comment below <laughs> that I'm a cunt. I'll take it, you know. <laughs> that was the Durban is your strategy for so many years. But anyway, <laughs> thank you so much, Martin. We'll chat again Thanks soon. Again, Cheers, bro. Cheers, babe. Bye bye.